God's Word and turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. We'll be in verse 6 and 7 in Isaiah chapter number 9. Isaiah 9 verse 6 and verse 7. So what is a birth announcement? Well, according to Webster, a birth slash baby announcement is, and I quote, a notice traditionally sent to friends and family by the parents of a baby within the first year of the baby's birth for the primary purpose of alerting friends and family to the birth of the baby, (laughs) end quote. Now, every parent has envisioned, has pictured in their mind that their child's birth announcement will go something like Simba's birth announcement in the movie The Lion King, right? I mean, in the opening scene, the long-awaited birth announcement of Simba is carried throughout the valleys of and plateaus of Africa, you have these tribal drums and African chants herald uh, the cubs' arrival. You got elephants and gazelles and antelopes and vultures and giraffes and zebras and even little ants journeying from miles away. They're climbing hills, descending sloping canyons, they're forging streams, they're hiking jungle paths. And when they all arrive together in adoring reverence and praise, The monkey elder lifts the newborn high above his head. Every parent, right? That's how my child needs to be announced. The birth of my baby needs to be announced into the world. Have you ever noticed that every birth announcement you ever receive, you receive it after the baby is born? Somebody say after. Right? I mean, I'm not talking about a pregnancy announcement. I'm not talking about a, 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 an expecting baby announcement. I'm talking about the birth announcement comes when? After the birth, right? Of course. Well, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 is the birth announcement of the Lord Jesus, which is announced 700 years before. Somebody say before. Not after, but before the baby is born in Bethlehem. Now, any sane person would sit up and say, wait a minute, this must be a super special baby, right? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) even more so than Simba, right? So Isaiah 9, look at verse 6 and look at verse 7. Here we go. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is born is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness From this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, we thank you for the reading, for the receiving, 
and for the response to your word, we ask that you might be pleased. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, so we're continuing our Christmas code word series. Today we're deciphering code word peace. Somebody say peace. (laughs) Yes, here's our takeaway. The Prince of Peace that we read about here in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, whose government of peace will never end, the Prince of Peace makes peace possible. Peace is possible. And the Prince of Peace makes it so. So, why is it important for you to know that the Prince of Peace makes peace possible? Well, first of all, it's important for us to know because we need peace. Amen? (laughs) Now, we want prosperity... We want to prosper, of course, but we need peace. And we need peace personally. I mean, look, I don't know what 2022 holds. If it's anything like the last couple of years, well, oh my, right? Think about it like this. If, if the year 2020 was a Christmas stocking hanging from a mantle filled with candy, complaining about being a Christmas stocking filled with candy hanging from a mantle, then the year 2021 is a pinata, right? Because there is something worse than being filled with candy hanging from a mantle. It's being a pinata and filled with candy hanging from something with somebody trying to hit you with a bat, right? Yeah, we don't know what next year, what, what's next year going to be. I don't know. But this is what we do know. We're going to need peace in it. Personally, we're going to need peace. Globally, we need peace. The Global Peaceful Index continues to report that global peace has just declined. Nine of the last 13 years, it's just deteriorated, eroded declined we know we need peace nationally I don't know if you've I don't know if you've noticed this or not but we live in a very angry nation we're just angry and unhappy and even with the folks we love the most I mean you say the wrong word and you could be canceled I mean we're walking on eggshells all the time and peace seems just so out of reach Like, where is it? Is there any peace? Well, in the days of Isaiah, God's people were in chaos, trouble, and turmoil. And in the midst of that, God spoke. (laughs) And he said, for to us a child is born. Now, birth announcements typically read this way. Or... Maybe not this way, but this is what they communicate, okay? They communicate who's born, the baby, and to whom the baby is born, right? Brady Greer, born to Sam and Tanya Greer, or Belle Greer, born to Sam and Tanya Greer, you know, something like that. But this one doesn't read that way. You ever notice that? This doesn't read, for to Mary, a child is born. It doesn't read that way. It doesn't read, for to Mary and Joseph, a child is born. It doesn't read that way. What does it say? For to us. Well, boy, that's, that's fascinating, is it not? That's not your normal birth announcement. For to us, what does that mean, for to us? Who is the us? The us are the covenant people of God. That's who the us is. Whether, uh, here's specifically Isaiah's day, but it could be any day. For to God's people, a child is born. For to the covenant people of God, a child is born. And this is important, especially in the days of Isaiah, to understand the context of what's happening here in chapter 9. So for us to get an understanding of this, I want you to take your Bibles and go back to Isaiah chapter number 7, verse number 1. Kind of paint the picture of why this needed to be said, where it needed to be said. 
So Isaiah 7 verse 1, we have, according to the word of God, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to do what, church? What does it say? Isaiah 7 verse 1, to do what? To wage war against it. Now, you don't have to be an expert in ancient history to read this and think, well, uh, Israel and Syria are not coming to Jerusalem peacefully, right? (laughs) They're not coming in the name of peace. They're not coming to bring peace. They're coming to wage war. So much so, look at verse number 2 here in, it says this, that the heart of Ahaz, chapter 7, verse 2, chapter 7, verse 2, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Again, that doesn't sound very peaceful to me, right? Little to no peace to speak of. So what's happening here? Well, there's a monster nation called Assyria. And Assyria is charging to conquer Judah, Israel, and Syria. Well, Israel and Syria said, well, we're just going to join Assyria. We're going to join this monster nation and not be overcome by them. We're going to join them and align with them. Well, Judah said, no, sir, no, thank you. So Syria and Israel went to Judah to force King Ahaz to join this alliance. And so they're not coming again in peace. They're coming to wage war. And here's what God says to Ahaz through Isaiah in the midst of all this chaos. Look at verse number 4 in chapter 7. Verse number 4, chapter 7. Here's what God said to his people. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. (laughs) And do not let your heart be faint because of the... I love this. Look at this. Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Well, God had a way with words, doesn't he? He goes on in verse 6. Don't don't fear those who devise evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify. Let us conquer it for ourselves. And and look at verse 7. Here's what God says in response to what the enemy says. Here's what God says. It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. Down again in verse 8, within 65 years, they'll be shattered. So here's what God's saying to his people in the midst of chaos, trouble, and turmoil. God says, hey, calm down. (laughs) Don't, Don't be afraid. Don't do anything rash. Trust me. Trust me at my word. Trust me alone. Trust me. And then he gives them this sign in verse 14. Probably the most recognized verse in chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord himself will give us a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name, what church? Emmanuel. Now, we know what Emmanuel means, do we not? I mean, God's sign to King Ahaz is his own son. So God's sign is his son. And his son's name is not Israel. His son's name is not Isaiah. His son's name is Emmanuel. And what does Matthew tell us Emmanuel means? God what? God with us. Emmanuel does not mean God is against you. Emmanuel does not mean that God is mad at you. Emmanuel does not mean that God is annoyed by you or turned off by you or tired of you or growing impatient with you. Emmanuel doesn't mean any of that. Emmanuel doesn't mean that God is simply for you. Emmanuel means he is with you. God with us. 
Emmanuel. And so back to chapter 9, you have all this turmoil happening, and chapter 7 and 8, it kind of, all that plays out, and then you get to chapter 9. And you have this message of, again, this child being born. For to us, a child is born. It speaks to the issue of the day. And the issue of the day that the king faced and the people faced, God's people, was peace. They needed peace. They didn't need prosperity. They needed peace. We want to prosper, sure. And God has plans to prosper us, absolutely. And that's not all material either. But we need peace we don't need prosperity we don't we need peace we need global peace national peace personal peace spiritual peace go down the list we need it Jesus is called the prince of peace here not the prince of prosperity Paul tells us put on the armor of God the gospel shoes of peace not the gospel shoes of prosperity the, the angels proclaim, the heavenly host proclaim, the, the multitude proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, not prosperity, but peace among those with whom he is pleased. We need peace. I think of the king of kings born not among aristocrats. Jesus wasn't born among royal aristocrats. He wasn't born in ro- and wrapped in royal robes and laid in a royal cradle and breathing in all the royal crown diamond essential oil-filled air. That's not what happened. He wasn't visited by the religious elite. No, Jesus was born among animals, not royal aristocrats. He was wrapped in smelly clothes, not royal robes. He was laid in a feeding trough, not a royal cradle. He breathed into the dung-filled air. He was, not, he, he was not visited by, by the royal aristocrats, the religious elite of the day when he was born. He was visited by backwood shepherds when he was born. You know what that means? That the incarnation of Christ, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, the incarnation of Christ annihilates the prosperity gospel, destroys it altogether, destroys it. Don't listen to that garbage. Don't listen to it. You stand on the gospel. Paul said, I came preaching Christ and him crucified. You stand on that truth. And you'll have peace. We need it. We need it. We need it. So here's the good news. Here's secondly, why is it important for you to know that the Prince of Peace makes peace possible? Secondly, not only do we need peace, but number two, we can have it. You can actually have it. Well, isn't that good news? Isn't that good news of great joy that you can have peace? You know, it's, it's good news that tomorrow on Monday, I, I'm really excited about it. You may not be. Y'all know, what, y'all know what's happening tomorrow, right? Y'all don't know what's happening tomorrow? you got to be kidding me. You know what's opening tomorrow, reopening tomorrow? Nukes. Nukes. Y'all don't care, do you? <laughs> you don't care. Nukes is reopening tomorrow. I'm so excited. Nukes is like a... Um, Gourmet McAllister's, really good stuff. That, that's good news. But that's not good news of great joy. Good news of great joy is we need peace and we can have it. That's good news of great joy. And, 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 and here's how this is laid out here in verse 6. Notice, notice what happens here. This, this prince of peace makes it possible for you and I who need peace to have it. My soul. Now, I don't know what all Mary knew. The song asked that question. Mary, did you? We don't know if what all she knew. We don't know how fully she understood. If, we don't know if she knew 
all that, that, that her baby would one day walk on water. We didn't know that. If she fully understood that one day he would save our sons and daughters or that he was Lord of all creation, came to rule the nations, that his, he's the perfect lamb, and when she held him, she was holding the great I am. We don't know how much of that she understood. I, I do imagine she had a sense of something, but we don't know if she fully understood that when she kissed her baby, she kissed the face of God, we, we, and, 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 and he walked where angels trod. We don't know what all she knew. I imagine she did know that we've been trying to reach her concerning her donkey's extended warranty. Probably knew that. <laughs> but we do know this. We do know that Mary knew what Mary needed to know. And the good news is you can too. You can know what you need to know. And you need to know that you need peace and you can have it in this child that is born. And I love the picture we have here of the child and the son. Because this is important high theology here. This is high theology. This is sound doctrine that we need to embrace. And we need to embrace the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was both 100% man and both 100% God all at the same time. And right here it tells us that. A child is born. That speaks of his humanity. Somebody say humanity. He's a real person that put on human flesh. He walked around as a human being. Listen, our salvation depends on this, that, that, that he was the perfect lamb. He was the perfect sacrifice. Why? Because he put on this flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John says. That part of our, Listen, our, our salvation depends on this truth that one of the persons of the Trinity didn't cry as or like a human being, but, but as a human being. He, he was man, 100% man. Philippians tells us that though Jesus in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being, uh, be, be, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. Hebrews says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are yet without sin. 100% man, 100% God. The other day, Tanya was studying Israelites and just studying how oftentimes they'd fall for the worship of the little g-gods and get in trouble with the big g-god. And In ancient times, in the time of the Israelites, they, people would worship Asherah, and this was a fertility goddess. And then when lady, and, and part of that worship was sexual encounters because she's the fertility goddess. And then when ladies would get pregnant, they'd, they'd offer their babies as a sacrifice to Baal and, and Moloch. And it, evil, brutal. And you know, in America, we're doing the same thing today. We're doing the same thing. How many products have you seen being advertised with promiscuous ads that have nothing to do with intimacy or, at all? Why are they doing that? Well, sex sells. That's why they do that. And then we cultivate this culture of, of, of just this, this sexual promiscuous culture. And then when ladies get pregnant, they're encouraged to have abortions. We're doing the same thing as a nation. The same thing. And it got me to thinking when we were having this conversation, why are, why are our children targeted? 
Why does the enemy target our children? Why are, why are children targeted to, to be indoctrinated with all these worldviews except biblical? Except the biblical worldview. Why are they being targeted for the, for, for, for the, uh, for the trafficking of human beings, sex trafficking trade, and child labor? And why are they being targeted? Why is the womb statistically still the most dangerous place to live in America? Why? Why is that? You know why? Satan hates children. He hates them. And why, does, why does he hate children? Well, perhaps Satan hates children because God in all of his sovereignty, perhaps this is why Satan hates babies, because God in all of his sovereignty decided that the true light coming into the world, the true light coming to every man, woman, boy, or girl, this true light, God sent him as a baby, as a child. Maybe Satan hates children because Jesus said, let the little children come to me for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Maybe it's because Jesus said in this world you'll face trouble, but I, who is I? The child that is born to us, I have overcome the world. Maybe this is why he hates children. Maybe that's why he tried to kill Moses and Jesus when they were babies. Think about all the babies that have been destroyed through history. How many Satan has destroyed, yet there's one baby he couldn't destroy. There's a baby that came to destroy him. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And he can't do nothing about it. He is done. His time is very limited. He's on a leash, and one day he's going to be thrown in the lake of fire forever. Ray Ortland said it like this, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. A child is born to you. To us. Every trouble you've ever faced or ever will face, the answer is a child that is born. But not only do we see his humanity, look at this. Look at the other part of verse 6 here, the second part of this. To us a son is given. That speaks to the deity of Christ, the son of the living God. It's pointing to the Christ child. It's pointing to Messiah, the deity of Christ. Colossians reads this way, for in him, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 100% God. Titus, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 100% God. Remember doubting Thomas saying when Jesus, when Jesus appeared to them, and this is what Jesus said, peace. <laughs> Don't you love that? Peace be still. This is after his resurrection. Before his ascension, he appears to the disciples, and Thomas is there, and he's yet to believe. And he says, I'm not going to believe unless I see the nail marks in his hands and the hole in his side. I will not believe. And Jesus appeared and said, peace, be still. He looked at Thomas and said, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my what? God. A hundred percent God. And a hundred percent man all at the same time. The incarnation of Christ. Even the demons tell us that. Even the demons in the New Testament referred to Jesus as the son of the most high God. They referred to him as the, as, as the holy one of God. They referred to him as the son of God. They referred to him as Jesus of Nazareth. Even they recognized the incarnation of Messiah. Now they didn't receive the gift... They acknowledged this is who he is. But see, the son is given. What does that mean? Well, you have to receive it. Just like the child is born. Why is the child born? The child is born so you can be born again, spiritually. 
and the son is given so you can receive that gift. you got to receive that gift. It's a gift from God Almighty, and you have to receive that. And that gift is given not only in the cradle, but the gift is given at the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what church? Eternal life, right, exactly. Given at the cross, given in the cradle, given at the cross, given the perfect lamb of God. And so you got to receive it. An, an, an illustration here about atonement might help us. Because that's what happened at the cross. It was the atoning work of Christ on the cross. He did what only God could do. He did what none of us could do. He, he went to the cross with no sin ever in his life. He became sin for you and for me. And he shed his blood and died on the tree. It's the atonement. Of Christ. Will Anderson used this illustration. It might be helpful. Uh, food. Anybody in here like food? All right, this, this ought to apply to some of us then. Just food. It doesn't matter if it's a plant or animal. It doesn't matter. Food demonstrates, helpfully demonstrates, whether you acknowledge it or not. You don't have to acknowledge it. But it demonstrates pretty clearly how everyone benefits from some type of atonement. Because whatever you eat, a plant or an animal, something had to die for you to live. If it's plucked from a tree, if it's pulled from the ground or the earth, if it's slaughtered in order to sustain us, there's some type of, a, every meal is a testament to the whole idea of atonement. Now, I understand that most people, or maybe we, say, we can say many people, maybe not most, but many people who eat a juicy burger or steak have never looked into the eyes of the animal that gave its life for their sustenance, right? Not many of us have visited a slaughterhouse and looked in the eyes of the animal who's been, now some of us slaughtered animals. If you grew up on a farm or something, sure. But slaughterhouse, they're unseen by, by many, and that's probably intentionally, right? It's probably, not a, it's probably not pleasant, probably ugly, just like the cross. The cross is ugly, it's horrific. Why? Because Jesus became sin. Isaiah says he's unrecognizable. And as we look at the cross, it shouldn't disgust us. It should cause us to tremble. Because Jesus Christ willingly embraced it for you and for me. He was given. But you've got to receive it. See, the cross is God's Christmas tree. And the present is wrapped in blood. It's his son. And he's given him for you. But you, you have to receive it. Just like you take that food and receive it after it's slaughtered, spiritually you have to receive this gift. You can have it. You need peace and you can have it. But you've got to receive it. And until you do, here, here's the fact. The fact is simple. Until you receive this gift, the son is given, the child is born. Until you receive that, listen, you have declared war on God 
We are enemies of God until we come to faith in Christ. We've declared war on God until we come to faith in Christ. Christ didn't come into an already condemned world or or a not yet condemned world to save it. He came into an already condemned world to save it. We're already condemned outside of Christ. We're already enemies of God outside of Christ. We're already declared war against God outside of Christ. And we see it all around us. We don't want God anywhere. We don't want him in our homes. We don't want him in our business. We don't want him in our government. We don't want him in our schools. Uh, we've rejected the, the sanctity of life. We've rejected the, the, the design of, of marriage by God. We've rejected God's design for gender. We, 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 we don't want God to define our morality. We don't want God to call out our sin. We don't want God to call us sinners. We don't want God to call us to repentance. And we stand in rebellion against God an enemy of God until we come to faith in Christ. So does that describe you? You find yourself there today? An enemy of God in rebellion against God, declaring war against God? Well, here's the good news. You can have peace with God. Romans says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. And God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were enemies of God, while we had declared war on him, Christ died for us. So this peace that we need, we can have it. We can be at peace with God. Number three, why is it important to know that the Prince of Peace makes peace possible? Number three, we can live with the peace of God. We need peace, we can have it, and then once we have it, we can live with it. Look what, how it reads here. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. I was uh, last Friday years old when I learned that it's not for calling birds. It's not calling. It's not C-A-L-L-I-N-G. Is that what you thought it was? Nobody else? I guess I'm the only one. Why didn't y'all tell me? For 47 years I'm walking around here singing that thing that way. Brad, why didn't you tell me? It's not, you didn't know? Well, then we're not, we're in bad shape, it's not calling, but the original lyric is Collie, C-O-L-L-Y. Anybody ever heard of that? Again, you didn't tell me. Thank you for not telling me. Collie bird. It's a, it's a black bird, apparently. And, you know, it's important to know. You ever sing lyrics of a song you've been singing your whole life and you learn later in life you got it wrong the whole time? Ever happened to you? It's good to know the lyrics, especially of Christmas songs. But it's even more important to know the names of Christ and what they mean. So here we go. Here's the first name of Christ given to us here. Wonderful Counselor. Uh, what does that mean? Is, is Jesus my therapist? I mean, what, what are we talking about here? Wonderful Counselor. It means he's all-knowing. He's all-wise. He's perfect wisdom. There's nothing that comes across your life. There's no hopeless situation that he cannot bring hope into. Nothing. He's not surprised. He's not worried. Jesus is not. He's, he, he, he's, he's never taken aback. Never, never, never. He is the wonderful counselor. He's, he never gets burned out. Amen? He's the wonderful counselor. So follow him. He's mighty God. It says wonderful counselor, and this is mighty God. God is God in the flesh. Jesus did what only God could do. 
And, and it's amazing. It, when, when his birth was announced to the shepherds after his birth, midnight turned into midday. Why? He's a mighty God. He did things only God could do. And he still does them. He's everlasting father. You know, my father died when I was 10 years old. And my mother, who was um, single, of course, widowed at that moment, and had a 10-year-old, a 6-year-old, and had, she was 29, pregnant, but didn't realize it at the time. Soon found out, soon found out, six weeks or so pregnant. And she said this peace came over her. And, and her world was gone in a moment, gone. And she said, this peace came over me. What is that? It, it's the everlasting Father who's always there. Some, I, I've had, what now, 37? This will be the 37th Christmas without my dad. Some of you, this may be the first Christmas without a dad or the first Christmas without a mom or the first Christmas without a son or daughter. Somebody's here last year is not here this year. But this is good news for us because everlasting father means everlasting, forevermore, never without him. He's always, it's like a father caring for his family. That's what this means. He's always there meeting every need that we have. There's nothing in your life that Jesus doesn't know about or care about. Nothing. He's the everlasting father. And look at this, prince of peace. Every day we're bombarded, aren't we, with the tragedy and tornadoes, storms out of nowhere, or domestic violence, or child abuse, or another war or rumor of a war, or cold-blooded murders, or riots, or... I, I, I remember re reading last week or so that suicide attempts have gone up about 100,000 each of the last couple of years. You just read and hear about all this. And, and it's like, is, is peace even, is it even within reach? Just bombarded all the time. And here comes this, here comes the Prince of Peace. And he says things like this. This, this is what he, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled. Are you, are you kidding me? You see all the trouble around us? What are you talking about? Don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Jesus says things like this. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. And this peace that we can live with, that we, we can really live with this peace, and we can, we can live with the peace of God, it, it conquers anxiety. That's what Paul was getting at in Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Through thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, and, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus that, hey, this peace conquers anxiety. Truly does. Uh, th this peace can heal relationships. You got somebody in your life you need to forgive, estranged from, you got somebody that got sideways with. L listen to this, Colossians. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, putting up with one another, look at this, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. 
so you also must forgive. Forgiveness is not an option. If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you have no choice. Well, I, I just can't forgive them. Well, if you're a follower of Christ, that's not an answer that you can give. You must forgive. And above all this, put on love. Listen to this, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ umpire your heart. Let it umpire your feelings. Let it umpire your emotions. Let it umpire your relationships. Let it umpire in your heart. And and, and the peace is what heals relationships. It healed your relationship with God. It'll heal your relationship with every other person in your life. I heard a term this week I'd never heard before. A suicide. A suicide. A suicide is apparently a term that rightly describes our culture today in that it is the epitome of making assumptions. A suicide turns a blind eye to the full story. It forms firm, dogmatic conclusions that assume the very worst based on hearsay, gossip, personal bias, strongman logic, etc. It paints a damning picture of the person in question and it shows no remorse when proven wrong. Boy, doesn't that describe our culture today, a suicide? (laughs) Aren't you so glad that Jesus has come so you don't have to assume the worst? But you can ask the best, and he'll give you peace. He is the prince of peace. Here's the last one, and we'll wrap this up. Why is it important for you to know the prince of peace makes peace possible? Because we need it, we can have it, we can live with it. Number four, it all depends on God. Doesn't depend on you. Doesn't depend on me. Doesn't depend on the government. Depends on God. I love this text. From the perspective, I mean, listen to verse 6. You need a verse for the last couple of years. How about this one? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Who in that good news? Good God, the government is on his shoulder. You know, the first advent, Christ came as a baby. He came wrapped in, in, in these... In, in, in rags, he, he came humbly in a manger. The second advent, he's returning as a warrior. He's going to come wrapped in royal glory and, 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 and robes of glory, and he, he returns to conquer. Hey, Jesus isn't in the manger anymore. He's not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. He, he is risen. He's ascended, and he's coming back. And this kingdom will never end The increase of his government and of peace. Peace is going to increase, not decrease. When he sets up his millennial reign and he reigns on this earth for a thousand years. It's going to be a reign of peace. It's going to be a reign of justice and righteousness. We've never seen a government like that before. We've never seen a a truly just and right government. Injustice just prevails in in our culture today. But one day it will not. It will be full of justice and righteousness. So who's in charge? Well, if you and I read this, of the increase of his government, and and the government that is now shall be upon his shoulder. Sounds like he's in charge, doesn't it? (laughs) That that the universe is on his shoulder. Sounds to me like Jesus is in charge. So here's what I need every one of you to do today. I need you to sit down at your computer today, or whatever device you have, and I need you to type out your resignation. And resign today as the manager of the universe, because you ain't it. Resign today as the manager of your universe, because you ain't it. Resign today as the manager of you, because you ain't it. 
He's in charge. You're not. I'm not. Praise God we're not. Amen? He is in charge. The government is upon his shoulder, and it's a government of peace. When I hear the word government, I don't, a synonym for government, it's not peace, is it? But here it is, government of peace. There'll be no end to that. It will not end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness, purely just, purely right. Man, what a day, what a day, what a day. And it will be from that time forth and forevermore. And I love this. How's this going to happen? The end of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our Supreme Court ain't going to do this. The president's not going to do this. Democracy isn't going to do it. Republicans aren't going to do it. Democrats aren't going to do it. Communism isn't going to do it. Socialism isn't going to do it. A vaccine's not going to do it. The, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He is in charge. Boy, isn't that good? See, this peace that we hear here, that we hear about here in chapter 9, it's not, it's not the absence of trouble. It's not the absence of a virus. Peace is the presence of Jesus in the midst of all that stuff. His presence. Emmanuel, God with us. Old poem turned into a hymn. We've sung it a lot over the last couple of weeks. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, written during the Civil War. Either 1863, 1864, somewhere around there. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and music sweet, the tones repeat, there's peace on earth, goodwill to men. But this was not some happy-go-lucky cotton candy poem or song. It reflected a heart laid bare in a time where there was much chaos and turmoil and trouble. So the second stanza kind of captures that. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song. There's peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then in the midst of all that, we hear the gospel in the final stanza. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Hey, the Prince of Peace, he makes it possible for you and I to have peace. To live with peace. Why? Because it all depends on him. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you've ever received this gift that God is offering to you. Maybe that's not you. But I'm here to tell you, this author and finisher of our faith, he makes finishing the faith possible. He makes fearing not possible. The Christ child makes becoming children of God possible. The Son of God makes becoming sons and daughters of God possible. He makes it possible. It's available and it's possible for you today. This, this Lord Jesus makes confessing Jesus is Lord possible. And that's what you have to do to have this peace. You've got to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. God the Father raised God the Son from the dead. And then you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So that, that's, that's a decision you have to make. Whether you're in person or online, wherever you are, you've got to make that decision. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Everybody stand up. If you're at home, stand up. A couple of ways we're going to have an invitation today. One of those ways is for you to trust Christ as your personal Savior for the very first time. You are living today with no personal peace at all. You don't have it. 
But I'm telling you, today you can have personal peace. Jesus is If there was one person and only one person believed the gospel through all of human history, Jesus would come for that one person. This is personal. When one person comes to repentance and believes this glorious gospel and trusts Jesus, heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices. For one. So do you have personal peace? You can today. But you have to receive the gift. You've got to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and trust Him. And I invite you to do that today. It's not difficult. It's not hard. Pretty simple. There's some key factors. The Holy Spirit, as He draws you, you confess Jesus as Lord. You admit you're a sinner. You believe in your heart what you've heard today about Jesus specifically, His death, burial, and resurrection, and you can be saved. And we want to invite you to do that. So I'm going to pray. So everybody bow your heads with me, and we invite you to do this if you're in